0: Amen. And Father, we just take this moment to be still in your presence. The weight of your presence, the weight of your glory. Father, I pray right now hearts would be stilled. Minds would cease to wander. That we would be attentive to your word and incline our ears to your sayings not letting them escape from our sight but keeping them within our hearts for we know that your words and only your words are life to those who find them and are healing for our flesh. May that be the prayer for today, new life and healing. Father, I pray right now the worried would find peace, the anxious would find peace the fearful would find courage. Father, the doubting, maybe those here for the very first time, and they would find truth. They would find the comfort of a Savior that loves them and has created them and is calling them to himself. Father, be with my mouth right now. Guard me from error. Say what you want to say, and have your way convict, refresh, rebuke, instruct, teach us, your word for your church today. And let us not be like those who hear the word and then just walk away unchanged, but God, to hear the word and be doers of the word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated, church. Well, praise the Lord. Today, we are launching into where we will be camping out for the next nine weeks, and it is in the book of Acts. We are starting in a new series here called The Foundations of the Church, a study through Acts. Now, remember, our theme for the year is when we launched on September 10th, this ministry year, was Foundations. And so everything we've been doing has been carrying along that theme as it is woven in it. We're shoring up the foundations of our faith. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture today, faith is under attack. Let's be more specific. Faith in Jesus Christ is under attack. The world tells us to put our faith in a lot of things, but it doesn't point us to the one who's the only one worthy of it. And so here we are, shoring up the foundations of our faith, which God promises to build His church upon, as we stay faithful to stand on them and uphold them in our individual lives and in us as a church. Now, a little recap. So far, we've, the foundations we focused on have been the person of Christ, who Jesus is, and our pursuit of Him through love, faith, and obedience. This is what we spent the first three months of this year going through the book of 1 John, verse by verse, line by line. And then we did a six-week series in Matthew 5 on the Beatitudes, verses 1 to 12, which focused on the the posture, not the person of Christ, the posture or character of Christ that we as Christians are called to be imitators of. It was the foundations of the heart that God promises to bless when we live our lives with that by his power. And now here in our third series of the year, we are launching into what all things, all things at this point, church, have been leading up to this. Everything we studied, and it is this, the foundations of the church which focus on the proclamation of Christ. We know who the person of Christ is, the pursuit of Christ we are to have, the posture of our hearts before Christ, and now we're looking at the proclamation of Christ. And this will take us into the summer It's called a promise for the church, this message, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verses one to five. And if you do not have a Bible with you, please put up your hands right now. The ushers are gonna come forward right up here, and they're gonna turn around, and they're gonna walk right back with those Bibles, to put one in your hand if you do not have a Bible with you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that. Please keep that as a gift from us to you so you can continue to study God's Word on your own. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, so the second half of the Bible. We're starting at chapter 1, verse 1. All right, foundations of the church. Well, what we need to establish here, we came pretty quick and prep this week, what needs to be established here is we have to have an idea of what the church is. I doubt very much that everybody in this room has the same idea of what the church is. And so if we're going to get on the same page, that is God's page, of what he says his church is to be, we need to come up with a definition. So I did a little research this week. Um, what is the church? Well, always a reliable source, looked at dictionary.com. To get man's definition of the church. Here it is. Here's what it says. A building used for public Christian worship. Just think, think, think. What is glaringly wrong with that definition? It completely is not the church. The church is not a building, loved ones. This is a school. A church is not the building, but this is the mentality of man towards what the church is. So if we are going to have any hope of understanding Acts and our response to it, we need to have an idea of what God's church is, and we're going to refer back to this. So what I did, I spent time with a few other pastors looking at all of the ideas that Jesus said, all of the things he said his church was, and tried to succinct them into one definition. Okay? No small task. But here's what he says. The church, in God's eyes, means this. The Greek word for church is ecclesia, ecclesia, and it means this. An assembly. See the difference? Glaring difference right there. An assembly of Christian believers. That's what ecclesia means. An assembly of Christian believers. And here, this is taking all of what Jesus said, putting it in one definition. Through which God has promised to advance his kingdom... As they, the people of the church, proclaim his word, seek his presence with increasing purity, passion, and power for his glory. Awesome. Awesome. An assembly of Christian believers, which God has promised to advance his kingdom as they proclaim his word, that is to preach his word Seek his presence with increasing purity. Notice, we don't ever hit the ceiling. Increasing purity, passion, and power for his glory. If I could sum all that up, it would be this. Let's give something we can remember and recall very quickly. Summary is this. The people of God living on mission for God. There's the church. The people of God living on mission for God. Take what is on that screen, condense it even down. Rock-solid clarity, there it is. The people of God living on mission for God. So I pray that by the end of these nine weeks, that's just cemented into your mind and into your heart, more importantly. The people of God living on mission for God. And here in the book of Acts, where the church began, I love this, I was waiting all year to get here. I'm so excited. We see this belief in the hearts of the first Christians and the impact that God had on them and through them, as they gave their lives completely to the mission he had entrusted to them. Let's get a little context on the book of Acts. All right? This is written by the Apostle Luke. The Apostle Luke. He's, he's a physician. He's a very detailed... You'll notice this. The details he gives. Detailed historian... And eyewitness to the person and work of Jesus Christ and the events of Acts. You say, how do I know Luke was an eyewitness? Because you'll see the word we quite a bit woven throughout this book. Okay, Luke was an eyewitness. It's not like, well, I heard one day from some guy. He's writing from an eyewitness account. And this is the same writer as the Gospel of Luke. Just two books before in Scripture. It's the second part or the continuation, the sequel, if you will, of Luke's gospel, and begins within the 40-day time period between Christ's resurrection and his ascension back up to heaven. It, It is the bridge between the four gospels and the rest of the New Testament. It sets the stage for what's about to happen in the entirety of the New Testament that's after it. And even though the title of the book, okay, we don't want to bust rank here, even though the title of the book is titled Acts of the Apostles, it is more accurately described as the acts of the Holy Spirit strengthening, guiding, and empowering the growth of the church through the apostles. Okay? It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That would be a more accurate description of it. And you'll see clearly why in, like, five minutes. Acts is a historical narrative. A historical narrative—that means it's telling the actual events of history. These things. I, I before we launch into this, I want you, loved ones. I want you to get this in our hearts, in our minds. These things we're about to look at actually happened. Tongues of fire actually came down. People were miraculously healed. These things actually happen. This is not some fiction. This is historical narrative. And it's been verified over and over and over. There is no writing in the history of the world with as much credibility historically, archaeologically, scientifically, than the Bible itself. They've been trying to remove it for over 2,000 years from bookshelves, and it's still the number one selling book. Why? That makes no sense. That makes no sense. It covers the span of the first 30 years of the church, Acts does, and describes the history and response of the early church to the mission that Christ had given, which is the Great Commission, which is the same mission. You will see it right somewhere. Uh... Where's our Great Commission banner? Over there. Yes, yes, over there. Okay, Great Commission banner. It better be in this gym. All right? (laughs) There we go. All right? It's over there. All right? That's where we want to keep Maybe we'll move it up here for the rest of the series so it could be in our face. Now, listen to this, how commentator Tony Merida said this. He described the book of Acts. You'll see it on the screen. He says, in the years between AD 33 and 64, when this book was written, it was finished around 62 to 64 AD, a new movement that is, Christianity, was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient... Look look at this. It got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion in the world that has, the world has ever seen. Think about that. And to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And the seedbed for all this, the time when it took decisive root... Was in the three decades, these three decades, we're gonna look at partially here. It all began with a dozen, get this, dozen men and handful of women. And then the Spirit came. Game on. Game on. And you say, well, wait a sec, why is this, why is this important for us today? Because we need to get the vision. We need to get the vision. We're going to recast vision and mission for this church right now. Why? Because we leak. We're prone to drift. We need to get the vision and be so convicted of that that we're willing to give our lives for it. Like, look around you right now. Look around you right now, loved ones. Just take a look. Don't be all, oh, is anyone looking at me? Just take a look. See what God's building here? See what God's building here? There were 12 people in this church less than two years ago. Okay. 12. And our, I have a question for us as we look at this church that God is building right here. If all of this, all of Christianity, All of the church globally started in and through 12 men and a handful of women over the course of 30 short years. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves right now. What could God do with Harvest Ottawa right here over that same time period? All of Christianity started 12 men and a handful of women, and the Holy Spirit came. What could God do? with Harvest Ottawa over the same 30 years or his church globally over the next 30 years for his glory. Do you church, I wrestle with this myself this week, this was a hard check for me, do you and I truly believe that God desires to use Harvest Bible Chapel Ottawa here in this gym right now which used to meet in my living room and now we're here and Lord willing, wherever he's going to take us, do we believe truly that God will use this church to advance his kingdom and do a supernatural work that will not only impact our generation, but generations to come and ultimately into eternity? Do we truly believe it? Not just, yeah, maybe God could. Do we, are we convicted of that? These early church believers sure were. We're going to see the roadmap, the blueprint. It is the best church planting manual there is on the planet, and I've seen quite a few. But loved ones, here's the challenge I give us, as your pastor, to you, pastor that loves you so much. Here's the challenge: Let's not study the Book of Acts simply to learn some head knowledge about events, places, and people. Or be casual about what the Lord has done or desires to do in his church. Yeah, that's great in the book of Acts, but this is the 21st century. Yeah, and the Lord hasn't changed, loved one. He hasn't changed. Rather, let's ask the Lord to challenge and transform our... I I challenge you to pray that prayer. I need you to pray that this week. Challenge and transform our hearts with a passion, fervency for his mission that he has entrusted to us. And be willing to give our lives... Be all in to what he's calling us to do. You ready? Ready? Let's get into the book of Acts. Let's go. Verses 1 to 5. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read scripture. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Here it is. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to fulfill God's mission for the church, the first thing we see here right out of the gate is we must remember God's purpose for the church. To fulfill the mission, God's mission for the church, we must remember God's purpose for the church, his glory. His glory. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do, those are going to circle those, those are key words, do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, Theophilus, who's this guy, Theophilus? Well, this was most likely a Roman official who was either a seeker, that means he desired to know about Jesus, he was open to the Christian faith, or he was a new Christian and was most likely a, a, the Roman official that... He's the same guy that Luke addressed at the start of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. Why do we know he's most likely a Roman official? Because he says, most excellent Theophilus. That was a greeting they gave to Roman officials back then. Most excellent Theophilus. And here Luke begins by restating the purpose of writing his first book, the Gospel of Luke, which was to explain, or it says to deal with in verse 1, to deal with all that Jesus Christ taught and the deeds he did in his earthly ministry until his ascension. Verse 2, it says he was taken up. That's his ascension that he's talking about. He's resurrected from the grave, and then 40 days later, he ascends back up to heaven and then gives the disciples the Holy Spirit. And I love how the purpose is to give certainty or assurance of the truth. Luke 1.4 even says this to Theophilus. He goes, I'm writing to give you certainty or assurance of the truth and life of Jesus Christ and his ministry here on earth. To give you certainty. I wonder how many people here right now need to be given certainty that this is true. If that's you today, praise the Lord you're not here by accident. To give certainty that this is true. And it's not my job to convince you. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. And he will if you're open to it. These were the things that Christ did by the power of the Holy Spirit within him. The apostles were to carry on as the mission of the church. Now, who's the Holy Spirit? We're going to get into a lot of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Let's give a snapshot right now. He's the third person of the Trinity. God, one being, but yet three distinct persons. Try to get our minds around that, loved ones. All right? Three distinct persons. We talked about this in small groups. Such good discussion through this. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Fully God, yet one distinct person of the three. Now look at verse 2. It says this. Until the day he, Jesus, was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. See, his ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That should be a big flag for us. To the apostles whom he'd chosen. Now, okay, who were the apostles? You know, I did some research this week, and you know, apparently there's apostles speaking at conferences right now. Apostle Grant and Bill and... Apostle Evan, and all these people, and with, all, with, with love for them, with all due respect, they're not apostles. You say, how do you know that? How can you be so sure? Because Jesus tells us. What is the Greek for eyewitnesses? The apostles who were eyewitnesses. These were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ, the Greek term for apostle, eyewitness to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who were specifically commissioned by Christ and sent out to establish the church by preaching and teaching in his name. You say, what does that mean? Well, let's drill down and get some clarity, okay? You'll see it on the screen. Three marks of an apostle that we see all throughout scripture is this. Apostles were picked. They all start with P. I I thought you'd be happy with that. All right, the apostles were picked. What does that mean? They had a personal appointment. Notice the term personal a personal appointment as an apostle of Jesus. He literally looked at Matthew and said, Follow me. He encountered personally the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He said, Follow me. He handpicked them. Okay, first thing. Secondly, apostles' special qualifications. One, they were hand-picked. Number two, they participated. They were an eyewitness experience of the historical Jesus. What's a historical Jesus? The man, Jesus Christ. His life on earth for 33 years. They were an eyewitness to history. And they were trained. Imagine this. They were trained directly by him. They sat with him. They walked with him. They ate meals with him. They stayed with him. Participated. Thirdly, apostles' qualification. One, they were picked. Number two, they participated. And here it is. They were positioned. They were positioned. They were given a divine authority or power and commissioning by Jesus to speak in his name. They were given specifically a divine authority. Why? Because he was about to blow the church right up all throughout the Middle East, into Greece, into Macedonia, all into Africa, all across the world, and they needed a divine authority to see it get established. These things actually happened. Okay? Get ready, because we're going to see lots of that. That's an apostle. So if anyone comes around saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's a lie. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, then Luke reaffirms the truth that after Jesus' death, that's his suffering, his crucifixion that we celebrated and remembered last Friday, Good Friday, And then subsequently after his resurrection, which we celebrated on Sunday, he presented himself to the apostles, to the disciples, and taught them of the kingdom of God. Okay, so what does it mean to present ourselves? What does it mean to present? The Greek word there for present means this. He appeared to them. He stood close beside them. Like literally, he's like right in front. He's right in front. Right in front. Jesus is appearing to them, standing close beside them. It's not like he showed up on a billboard. He's right there in front. That's amazing. The apostles, he stood beside by giving them many proofs. What is a proof? What is a proof? It's an indisputable sign. Indisputable that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Indisputable that he has all authority on heaven and on earth. Indisputable that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Indisputable proof that he's alive and his authority and power was with them. Okay, so wait, what are some of this indisputable proofs? Because maybe here, maybe you're here wondering, like, is that even true? How can I, okay, just let's, let's look at some of the the proofs. Number one, he appeared in a locked room. John 20, 19, you'll see it on the screen, it says this, on the evening of that day, The first day of the week, that's the day Jesus was risen from the dead. The doors being locked. All the disciples are hiding. They're hiding in an upper room because their Savior had been murdered. All their hope they thought was gone. And so they're huddled in, locked in, hunkered down. Look what it says. Doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, because of fear of being hunted down. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Whoa. He just went through a wall. The door was locked, and they weren't going to open it for anybody. They thought they were headhunted, which they were. He's like, okay. He just walked through a door. I don't really have that same impact (laughs) and some scars to prove it. Right? appearing in a locked room. Next, next, what's another sign? He showed them his crucifixion scars. Look at Luke 24, 36-41. to 41. So, he appeared in the room, now he's showing those scars. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, there he is, and he said, peace be to you. But they were startled, yeah, no kidding. They were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit, that is a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my ha- Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? See my hands and my feet, loved ones. Touch me and see. Put your fingers in them. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Can you imagine what's going on in that room right now? <clears throat> like feet. Like, think about this. And Jesus is like, "Peace." Peace. Amazing. Let's not stop there. Oh, there's so many we could do. But here's, here's another one. He ate with them. It was a resurrected real body. Look at this. Here it is. You'll see it in Luke chapter 24, verse 41 to 43. He says this, And while they still disbelieve, they're like, okay, it's not enough that I you know, did this and touched you. It's not enough that you just walked through a wall. <laughs> Look what Jesus does. Still disbelieve for joy and were marveling, because obviously, he said to them, Hey, you got anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Notice the detail. There's Luke, the historian. He didn't say he just gave him a meal. Broiled fish, eyewitness account. He took it and ate it before them. It's like, hey guys, it's been a long three days. Got some food? I'm sure when they were picking their jaws up off the floor, they had to get the fish after. That was hard. That was amazing. This actually happened down to the details of what Jesus was eating. Oh my, that's amazing. All right, all right, all right. Kingdom of God, it says he's preaching. You're back to the text. Presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God there? This is God's kingship, his authority, his sovereignty. And here, I love this. His, the royal power of Christ. King Jesus, the royal power and authority of Christ. Not an earthly kingdom he's speaking of here, but the reign of Christ in the hearts of all Christians and the reign of Christ in his church that by his power working in and through them transforms lives and cultures. Question, loved ones, question, do you believe Christ's power can change this city? His royal authoritative Sovereign power. Do you believe it can change the city? Hey, let's go one step further. That's too small. Do you believe that it could change the nation? Let's take it home. Do you believe it can change your marriage? Do you believe that it can change students? We've got a lot of students here. Do you believe it can change your classroom? Do you believe this can change your neighbors? That guy who's all hardened. Do you believe it or do we just know it? Authoritative power. Now, think about this. Think about this, loved ones. Why would Jesus Christ go to all of these lengths, these supernatural lengths, to minister to his apostles this way? Here's why. Here's why. Because he's confirming his authority that what he said and how he lived was true. He's confirming his authority over death by showing up and eating a meal. When's the last time you saw a dead person eat a meal? He's confirming his authority through the hands, through the feet of his scars. And it was the very mission and purpose that he wanted his church to have, which the apostles and now us today, Harvest Ottawa, are entrusted with to model after him. After him. And the best part is this he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed just because the culture has. He's still on the throne. He still has the power. He still has the authority and the ability to change a life. Amen? So the question isn't, church, the question isn't can he do that? Can Jesus do that? The question is, will you and will we as a church make ourselves available to be used by him to do it? Will we make ourselves all in? for the greatest mission we have been entrusted with, for the hope of all the world, the church of Jesus Christ, to see the kingdom of God advanced. Will we be all in on that? Do we believe that's true? Or do we want to play church? Could you say this? In order to fulfill this purpose for the church, we must get clarity. What is the purpose of the church? He tells us right in the text. Love it. What is the purpose of the church? Well, first one is this to teach God's word. Teach God's word. Look at verse 1 again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and, everyone say it together, do and teach. Teach. Teaching God's word. Now look, at in the first three verses, there are three references to teaching and proclamation. We just look at the first one, verse two. Until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he'd chosen. See that? Given commands, teaching number two. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking, speaking about the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Three references to teaching in the first three verses. It's a big deal to Christ that the kingdom of God is proclaimed in his church. Amen? To teach means what? Of a lot of different methods. I used to be a high school and elementary school teacher. So I know all these teaching strategies. What's, what's Jesus speaking of here? Teach means. The Greek means this. To instruct or to impart knowledge. The doctrine or the beliefs, the truths of scripture. Scripture. Not just funny stories on Sunday mornings or in small groups. Not just motivational pep talks that that tickle the ears. Not, Not so we can feel good. It's not one man's opinion where he takes a text of Scripture and then runs off on a tangent of his own opinion on it. We want God's opinion of His Word. Amen? This is what Jesus Christ is speaking of here when he teaches God's word. I love how John Calvin puts this. Churches aren't perfect. This isn't a perfect church if you're looking for one it doesn't exist. Okay? I'll just let you, church, off the hook. Here it is. But he says this. Wherever we see the word of God purely, see that? Faithfully preached. Faithfully preached and heard. There a church of God exists. Even if it swarms with many faults, starting with me, But where the Word of God is purely preached, there a church exists. The pulpit, loved ones, the pulpit drives the church. Always has, always will. It determines direction, it determines vision, it determines mission. It keeps us together, it unifies, it strengthens, it upholds, it establishes. Why? Because this isn't just a book. This is the living and active Word of God that every time it is held up and people are exposed faithfully to that truth, it will change lives. Amen? We had three baptisms last week showing lives that have been radically transformed by the Word of God and the power of Jesus Christ as it is held up and preached. So this pulpit will stay here. Okay? It drives the church. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. And quite simply, it's not a church if it's not faithfully preaching God's word. I don't care about the size of a building. I don't care if they have Starbucks coffee in the lobby. If it's not preaching God's word, it's not a church Faithfully, purely preaching God's word. That's the church that Jesus is commanding here. So, what's the purpose of the church? To teach God's word. Number two, to do God's work. Look at verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Do God's work. The word do there means to act or to cause or to manufacture this is to live obediently, live out the truths of Scripture by the power of the Spirit, to see the church built up and established for His glory. Do. That's Jesus' that's Jesus's life. Teach and do. This is what we're called to do and model after the head of the church. If the head of the church is doing it, it's a no-brainer the body's doing it. James one twenty-two says, Do not just be hearers of the word, but doers. I mean, look around us. Would you agree there is, this hit me this week? Would you agree this, loved ones? There's way more knowledge about Scripture than we have obedience to it. Would you agree with me? Way more knowledge. I know a lot of things. Are you obeying those things? Do by the power of the Spirit. We're not doing it to earn our salvation. We're doing it by the power of the Spirit to see God's glory established. So what sort of things are you talking about? What does doing look like? Well, in the church, it's serving others. You before me in humility. You before me. God before me. Serving others. Laying our lives down for each other. Just look at 1 John. We walk through that whole thing. Number two, pray for others. Praying for others. I love seeing this place when I walked in this morning, seeing teams huddled before they start serving, praying together, praying over each other. I love what's going on in our small groups as I watch people praying over each other. That's so good, so powerful, and so right. Worship with others. What's the doing? Worship, making corporate worship a priority. Sunday mornings a priority. This is the doing. Don't forsake meeting together, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. say, But all the more as you see the day approaching when Christ comes back. Here's another one. What's doing? Doing life together. Uncommon community. Being known and being loved. Being cared for. I love how Tony Marita says it this way. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus was all about teaching and doing. He left the church with the same ministry, intending that we let others see our good deeds, that glor- there it is, God's glory, glorify the Father and helping others understand the good news that leads to eternal life. So question, question, examination. If this is the mission that Christ Himself modeled and has now entrusted to His church as its very purpose for existence, where do you need to step into this? Where do you need to step in? Here's an example. How about serving? Joining a service team, harvest kids, set up. Teardown, welcome ministry, tellering, worship, production. Loved ones, I say this in love to you. As your senior pastor that loves you very much and wants to see God's purpose in your life and in this church more than anything else, if you consider Harvest Bible Chapel Ottawa your home church, it's time to step in. It's just clear. It's just right. And it's what God promises to bless. Yeah, but my schedule, my schedule. Waters don't part till your feet get wet. It's time to step in. Students, I know we we can have this mentality as I did in university. Well, I'm only here for eight months. It doesn't really matter. Step in. It's what God purposes for you and purposes for his church. There are applications at the back, and Mr. Ian would love nothing more than to have them all go out today. Applications to serve. Where is it? Pray about it and get it in as God continues to build his church. How about this? Here's another way to to step in. Small group. Discipleship for one another. Did you know I read a stat this week? A person is five times more likely to leave the church if they're not plugged into a small group. Why? Why is that? because they're not known, they're not loved, they're not getting connected, doing life together, bearing the burden with others, and so fulfilling the law of Christ, the purpose of Christ. Here's another one to step in. Make church and prayer nights a priority. April 25th, coming up. Let's pack it. Making prayer a priority. This is where God's moving, joining him in that. Where is that for you? Where is that for you? In love, I just say that. It's it's, it's not, don't do this out of, hey, well, I'm under compulsion because of Pastor Ray. No, 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 no. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. The sweet, gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit. Where is that for you? Spurgeon said it perfectly. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. That is exactly right. Lukewarm preachers and people in them, teaching and doing. That's a caution for us today. To fulfill Christ's mission for the church, loved ones, we must remember God's purpose for the church, his glory. The devil fears when the people of the church are sold out to Christ and his purpose for the church and are empowered by him in the work of the church. He fears. He shudders. But in order for that purpose to be accomplished, last point today is this. We must rely on God's promise to the church, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, you notice there where it says, and while staying with them, you should see a little superscript number in your Bible, and you go to the bottom of the page, and it says, or eating. You could say this with him while well, he's eating with them. We talked about that earlier. While he's eating with them, it states, while he's eating with his disciples, just before he left them and ascended to heaven, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Anyone have an issue with waiting? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, good, my son and me. That's great. All right? Seriously. He says, wait. He says, I'm about to give you the mission. Don't you think if you're an apostle, you're like, okay, what do we got to do, 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 do? He says, chill. Wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. What does the term wait there mean? It means to remain, to abide. And here's a good one. To stay steady regardless of obstacles. Stay steady. You're going to want to run. You're going to want to push ahead on your own agenda. You're going to want to do this. Stay steady. Wait. Wait. What are they waiting for? He tells us. The promise. The promise. Verse 4. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, whenever you think biblical, we need to get some good theology on God's promises here. Whenever God promises something, this is what he's talking about. Promises of God. Here it is. Something that is guaranteed or officially sanctioned by God. That's the Greek word for promise. That's a good deal. Something that is guaranteed or officially sanctioned by Almighty God. In this case, it was His promise to give them a new or greater or supernatural power or empowerment to fulfill the mission He was calling them to through a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Awesome. He says if you try to run this race on your own, you're toast. You've got to wait. You've got to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to wait to keep in step with the Spirit. And he gave this promise to them earlier before he was crucified that they would be baptized in it. That's what he says, what you've heard. Now, the word baptized, so this is one of the doctrines that gives a lot of confusion to some people, so let's just get some clarity of interpretation. The word baptized there means to be completely immersed or submerged in. You saw that happen. The Greek word there is baptizo. It means to completely immerse or submerge in. You saw that in our baptism service last week. And now in verse 5, he goes on to say, For John baptized with water. What's he talking about there? Well, Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist, whose mission it was. He was the forerunner of Christ to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus, a prophet of his it was his mission to prepare the people for Jesus' coming to earth. And to do this, he baptized people in a baptism of repentance. Not out of salvation. Not out of, you're saved, now I'm going to baptize you like what we saw here. A baptism of repentance which recognized one's desire to turn away from their sin and turn towards God in preparation for Christ's coming. Preparation. I want to be ready for this. The picture there was being immersed in water to show the picture of a a cleansed or repentant heart that wanted to turn to the Lord. But notice this. Jesus compares John's baptism with an even greater baptism that was coming, which is baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says there in verse 5. Not many days from now. What is that? This is the giving, the giving of the Holy Spirit by God to the apostles to, ready, to empower them supernaturally to fulfill the mission of establishing the church. They were, baptizo, remember, means to be immersed. They were to be fully immersed in the life of the Holy Spirit if this was going to go forward. You can't do it on your own strength. Your programs you think you're going to run aren't going to cut it long term. They're not going to last into eternity. You need to be immersed in the life of the Holy Spirit to see this mission fulfilled. And the reason Jesus tells them to wait, and loved ones, the reason he tells you and I to wait, there's a preparation to do. The mission was impossible. This mission right here of seeing God's kingdom advance is impossible. It is literally mission impossible. I don't think I don't know what's going on in your head, Right? right? It is literally mission impossible without his power, the power of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, doing the work. It's a supernatural work and has to have a supernatural power. Amen? Supernatural work from a supernatural power or we will fail every time. And they needed to be, these disciples, as we need to be today, 100% dependent, 100% of the time, if they were to fulfill the mission Christ was about to give them. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Look on the screen there. A church in the land without the Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. Ouch. If you have not the Spirit of God, Christian worker, remember that you stand in somebody else's way You are a fruitless tree standing where a fruitful tree might grow. So convicted with that this week, loved ones. So question, first, this was our launch sermon for this year on September 10th. What are we building with here? What are we building with? Wood, hay, straw? Or gold, silver, and precious stones that will last into eternity? And I wrestle with this question each week. I wrestle with this truth each week. And my prayer is this, and I ask you would join me in praying this over our church. Lord, don't give the ministry. Don't give the ministry that you wanted to entrust to us, to someone else, because we weren't faithful. I don't want to be in the way of the fruit. Do you? Don't give it to someone else. Do what you need to do to keep us dependent upon you. In step with your spirit. Whatever it takes. See, do you notice this happening in churches all over today? It's so easy to shift our reliance from where it has to be on the Holy Spirit to relying more on programs, systems, structures, planning center, Good lights, instruments, no offense, Josh, and human wisdom or experience. Hey, hey, we have many programs, but do we have the Spirit? Do we have the Holy Spirit? So where's our Reliance Church? One thing I ask our leaders regularly is this, as we meet for leadership development, is this, if the Holy Spirit decided not to show up on a Sunday at a small group, at a prayer night, would we notice Would we notice if he decided not to show up? Man, I hope so, so quick. I would rather have a train wreck happen than to try to minister without the Holy Spirit. Would we even care if he didn't show up? We sang, we welcome you with praise. Is he welcome here, loved ones? I pray so. Are we keeping in step with him by following his timing, his agenda, and working with his power, waiting on him for provision and opportunity and doing the things he wants done in his time and his way are we waiting hey hey don't just take this corporately take this into your your and individual lives too how about in your marriages are you waiting on the holy spirit or are you trying to change your spouse are, in our relationships or career opportunities with others are we waiting for god's timing are we pushing ahead with our agenda? Parents, how about this? Are we trying to change our kids? Are we entrusting them to the Spirit each day and just being faithful to pour into their lives? So you say, Well, I want that, and we'll land the plane with this. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Here's a snapshot. Here's four ways. Get your pens ready, loved ones. Here we go. Number one How do we keep in step with the Spirit individually and as a church? This doesn't change. Through God's Son. Ephesians 1, 13, look at this screen here. Through God's Son, it says this. In him, Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God and fully man and suffered and died on the cross for your sin and mine, taking the penalty that we deserved, the wrath of God himself, which separated us from God. And then after he died, he rose again three days later and achieved victory and power and freedom over sin and death and that he is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other religion, no other method to try to earn our salvation. Christ alone, through his Son. And why, 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 why? Because notice what it says there. When you received and you believed in him, what happened? You got the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promise. So we trust in Jesus Christ. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. We are saved, as Scripture says in Romans. And then the Holy Spirit is given to us as the seal of that as the guarantee of that. Now I want to clarify, even though the disciples needed to wait 10 more days until the Holy Spirit was given them the day of Pentecost, now for us, the Holy Spirit is given at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, He is the seal or guarantee of our salvation. There's no additional Holy Spirit second baptism that is needed. It's so clear. Ephesians 1.13, you still don't believe me, Ephesians 4.5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't continue to fill us. Ephesians 5, or yeah, Ephesians 5:18. It says be filled with the Spirit. That he continues to empower us for the work that he's giving us to do. Okay? He continues to fill us for the work. So that's individually. Let me ask you a question. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus Christ? That is the most important question of your life. And without the presence of Christ in you, there is no power of Christ through you. It can't happen. Have you made that decision, loved one? Ask him right now. I, I just challenge you. Ask him right there. Do I believe in you, Jesus? You are the Son of God. Now what does this mean for us corporately through his Son? It means Christ is at the center of all. He is the only one we worship. He is the only focus for us. His exaltation, His glory is the priority in all. That is the mission of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus Christ, he says in the Gospel of John. The mission of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. He's the center of everything we do. The songs we sing, the word that is preached, harvest kids, small groups, you name it. Okay? Through God's Son. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Can't do it without His power. We need it through Jesus Christ. Number two, through God's Son, and then through God's Word. Through God's Word. Look at John sixteen thirteen. You see it right here. When the Spirit, there it is again, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Have you ever got in front of a text of Scripture and be like, I have no idea what this says? It happens to me every week. I have no idea what this says. This is where we need to ask the Spirit for help because his job, his mission is to guide us into all truth. Why? Because when we walk in the truth and we know the truth, we glorify Jesus Christ. And so scripture says things are spiritually discerned. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to discern what scripture is saying and to apply it. So question individually, how's your God time? Keeping in step with the Spirit, how's your God time? Are you making that a priority? What does that look like for you? Is that the most important part of your day? And you're saying, well, how long? That just get in the Word. Let's just put it that way. Get in the Word. We're not talking legalism here. All right? So that's individually. But what does it look like for us corporately as a church? His Word is our priority. His Word stays the priority. Sunday mornings, in Harvest Kids, prayer nights, small groups. When you're fellowshipping over coffee, whatever it is, God's word is the prayer. When we do biblical counseling, we take it right from God's word. Because apart from him, we have nothing. We need the Holy Spirit. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Through God's Son, through God's word. Here it is, through prayer. Look at this, Romans 8, 27 says this. See it on the screen, through prayer. Romans 8, 27. There it is. The Spirit, there it is again, the Holy Spirit intercedes. That means praise for the saints. What is this? According to the will of God. You want to keep in step with the Spirit? Spend time in prayer with the Spirit. He's praying the will of God over you already. And we join him in that and keep in step with him. Prayer is the declaration of our dependence on God. You know what? If I could sum up prayer, it would just be this. Help God. Yes. Help Prayer is the declaration of our dependence. Now, okay, flip that. What's the opposite? Prayerlessness is the declaration of our independence. God, I don't need you. Ouch. Watch out. Watch out. You want to keep in step with the Spirit? Walk in the power of the Spirit? Through prayer. Individually, what does this look like? Carving out time to seek the Lord carving out time to seek the Lord. And realize, hey, hey, you know what? I, one, of my, one of my mentors, Daniel Henderson, wrote a book on old paths, new power. I would highly recommend that, by the way. And he said this, the only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. Do you believe God is worthy to be sought? In your car? When you've got that whole exam schedule, student sitting in front of you, is he still worthy to be sought right there? Is he worthy to be sought when you're not getting your way? Now, corporately, what does this look like? We just keep to the motto and stick to the mission that without prayer, we're dead. Harvest Kids, I love that the fact that I was talking with Josh this week who was leading the Harvest Kids devotion and gathering them for prayer. Sundays, we spend time to pray throughout this service and in our teams, small groups. We spend so much time in prayer, prayer nights, leadership development, Service teams. Hey, 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 loved ones. Corporately, next prayer night, April 25th. Lock it in. Let's keep in step with the Spirit as a church. All right, lastly is this. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Four ways. Through God's Son, through God's Word, through prayer. And here it is, through obedience. Through obedience. Galatians five sixteen. Look at this. It says this. But I say, Jesus says, walk by the Spirit. There it is. The Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. This is individually humbling yourself under God's authority. And t- here it is. Taking responsibility for the revelation he's putting into your heart right now. What are you going to do about it? This is how we keep in step with his fear. I'm just not close to God. Are we obeying what he is saying to his church? Not me. Him. This is not my opinion. This is just as convicting for me as it is. I pray for you. Are we walking in step with the Spirit for obedience, making a priority what he calls to be a priority in our lives and in this church? Stepping into serving, making corporate worship a priority, small group participation. Oh, yes, it's what he promises to bless without grumbling or complaining, but with joy. And what does it look like corporately? It means walking in the fear of the Lord and not man. We live in a day, and I'm sure you look around right now, and we live in a day where, as I preached on a few weeks ago, the Christian liberties are under attack, right? And we're not promised Christian liberties, but we are promised persecution, And in the face of that persecution, it is walking and being convicted in a fear of the Lord that what God says is true, that he's going to still continue to build his church, and our job is to not waver from this, but to uphold it with everything we've got in the conviction of the Holy Spirit and his power. Amen? Corporately, through obedience, and it will cost. It will cost, loved ones holding fast to our confession with conviction regardless of what the culture will say. Preach the word in season and out of season. And it's so easy, loved ones, to get derailed or distracted and say, if we just had this or that program Or if I had this time or that time, or took this opportunity, then we'd be more effective to reach more people. Careful, church. Careful. We leave us with this. Careful. We must remember this, both in our personal lives and in the church. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. So important. God's Spirit will not empower what He's not calling us to engage. It's true. God's Spirit will not empower us for what He's not calling us to engage. That's why you don't see 50 programs unleashed right now because he's not calling us to engage that. He's saying, I'm calling you to engage serving in the church. I'm calling you to engage small group and I'm calling you to engage prayer nights and Sunday morning high-impact worship. There it is. He won't empower anything else at this point. Heard this week. This that put it all in perspective. The Bible does not say we should aim at numbers, but rather urges us faithfully to proclaim God's message through our lips and in our lives in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. This will build God's church in God's way. Amen? Amen. So pray for us as elders. Pray for your leadership teams. Pray for us for wisdom and humility and dependency to walk in step with the Spirit. To fill, fill Christ's mission for the church, we must remember God's purpose for the church, his glory. And we must rely on God's promise to the church, his Holy Spirit. So loved ones, last question. What is your next step? Take it. Take it. The purpose is clear. The hour is urgent. The need is great. His power is sufficient. And his glory will be seen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word, God, and just feeling even convicted right now by this very truth to reassess. Father, I pray that you would use this so powerfully to unify and strengthen the resolve in this church that no matter what may come against God, we'll hold fast to the confession of our hope without ravering and be all in for the serving our King who has given us and entrusted us the greatest mission of all time, in your time, and in your way. Father, help us to wait on you. Help us to listen to you in our individual lives and in us corporately as a church, God. Don't let us move beyond where you're taking us. Don't let us engage what you're not gonna empower. Father, I pray right now, there would be such a spirit of sweet encouragement and conviction and faith that is welling up in the hearts of the people of this church. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be on fire disciples for Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, this is what you are seeking. This is what we see in the believers of the early church and what we will continue to see. Oh, God, open our eyes to see your authority, your power, your spirit, your grace, and your promise that you will build your church. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.